This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and now I'm tuning in to the new TNN. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Imagination, life is your creation. Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Culture Addicts, welcome to the new TNN podcast feed, and welcome to Starman Negative 3, Episode 2. My name is Johnny C, and uh, have you guys ever done anything that you're really not proud of? Sure, I think we all have, whether it's lying to mom and dad about who really broke the lamp, or perhaps... Lying to mom and dad about who put the pink shirt in with the load of whites. Or maybe lying to a friend and telling him, No, I didn't steal your phone and take all the pictures out of it for my own personal gains when you were taking a shit. Regardless of what you've done in your life, I don't think it's going to be any worse than what we have to talk about today. Spoiler alert! Uh, As you know here on Starman, we take the worst matches in pro wrestling history to court. We find those matches guilty or not guilty of the star ranking that was applied by the host, sure, why not, of the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer, who of course has nothing to do with this podcast. Just wanted to put that out there because this one's extra saucy. Uh, The legal team has advised me that uh, it's probably a good idea. So the last time we gathered, it was indeed an affront to all mankind. Uh, when we talked about the Doomsday Steel Cage match, when the Megaforce defeated the Alliance to end Hulkamania. And while that was such an embarrassing encounter, I don't really know that it's worse than this shit. We've got three matches on the docket today, two that are just really make me want to quit my job as a podcaster, but I won't do it because I know you all love me so much. The other. Well, we got a bit of a treat for you, so please, get get to the end if you can manage, okay? But it's a full caseload with three matches, so without further ado, let's get started. Well, the good folks at Impact Wrestling are going to be excited because I let my Impact Wrestling Plus, or whatever the fuck it's called, subscription lapse, forgot to cancel it. So they've gotten $9.95 more out of good old Johnny C, which means I can bring to you the first match on today's case docket. It comes from the year of 2007 on a pay-per-view called Against All Odds. Well, Against All Odds, Impact Wrestling is still in business, so I like the title. It's a good choice. But I believe at the time, we're TNA Wrestling. Fitting. Very fitting. Uh, The Impact Zone, of course, in Orlando, Florida at Universal Studios. i got to tell you, folks, and I'm not bragging here because, really, it's nothing to brag about. I went to the Impact Zone one time. I was in Universal anyway for a trip, and I was like, well, fuck it. I might as well go because they're filming a pay-per-view. And i got to tell you, that fucking place is small, man. It's really, 
really, really small. You know this, and you guys probably already know this, you know the hard cam side where everybody sits? You know what the other side of the building is? It's just a fucking wall, man. Like, there's hardly any room on the other side. Do they even ever go to the other side? Do they ever get the big wall in the camera shot? It's, it's an embarrassingly short, like, room to work on that side of the ring. I don't know. But yeah, man, it's just a fucking wall. It's embarrassing. You should be ashamed of your wall. I mean, Pink Floyd's The Wall is a pretty decent album. The Wrestler The Wall is a pretty shitty wrestler. And The Wall at the Impact Zone is embarrassing. So yeah, walls are evil. Final verdict. There you go. I'll hear none of it. But our first uh, contest, I almost wanted to say encounter, like Sean Moody. So our first encounter, God, I fucking don't want to do this. It's a tuxedo match between Christy Hemi and the big, fat, oily guy. We'll talk. Mike Tanay and Don West are on the call. Now, as you know, before each match here goes to trial, we have to provide a little bit of context. Otherwise, the jury, which is I, might be confused as to about what they're witnessing. So here's the context. Christy Hemi, newly arrived in TNA Wrestling, feels that there is a place for women in the six-sided ring. She brings this argument to the head of TNA Wrestling Operations, Jim Cornette. Oh, fuck me sideways. Did you bring him a junior bacon cheeseburger as well? I imagine you'd get your way if you did. But Jim Cornette tells her that she'll get a match, all right. She'll get a match at the Against All Odds pay-per-view. But he won't tell her who it is. We see that in the build-up to this match, Christy Hemi has been having some problems with the Voodoo Kid Mafia. Well, I've got some problems with the Voodoo, with the Voodoo, the Voodoo Kid Mafia too. Number one, what's with the name, man? I mean, people have been saying it for years. I can't add anything to it except to say it's fucking dumb. Not to mention the fact that the Road Dog and Badass Billy Gunn are just acting like their characters. Where's the lawsuit? Because they're not the Road Dog, Jesse James, and the Badass Billy Gunn. Where are the lawsuits? I'll tell you where there are. They're nowhere to be found because it's not worth Jerry's fucking time to put a cease and desist on these two bozos, in my opinion. Kip, that's Billy Gunn's name. I guess it's better than Monty Sop. Actually, I don't know. Let's flip a coin. All right, here we go. Live coin flip on the air. Heads, Kip James is the worst name. Tails, Monty Sop is the worst name. You ready? It's Tails. Who was that? Monty Sop. All right. So Kip James is the way to go. I actually flipped a coin as well. So that's the final verdict. Uh, Kip tells her that women are good for two things. Christy Hemi says she already knows their bodies. All right, Christy. If that's the way you really feel. Uh, But also, women are good for putting men back in line when they step out of line. I don't agree with either of these two things, BT Dubs, but that's fine. What do I know? Just a guy, 2022, watching this pay-per-view. Now, this interaction with the VKM is cross-cut with a sit-down serious interview that Christy Hemme had with Jeremy Borash. I don't know how any interview can be serious when Jeremy Borash is on the other end, but whatever. Uh... Kip James shows up at this sit-down interview, casually munching on some Chinese food, I'm presuming, in a uh, fucking styrofoam container, which I do find humorous. Kip casually eating out of a styrofoam container. He makes JB skedaddle. 
and he sits down in the interview chair in her place. I don't really know what he says, but he accidentally spills some food on Christy Hemi. Christy Hemi demands a public apology or Kip James is fired, whichever comes first. Jim Cornette can't force this to happen, but Kip James does show up for the uh, public apology. But instead, he tells her, your public apology is right here. And he makes a motion towards his crotch and thrusts it forward in a provocative manner. Back in the impact zone, the announcer lets us know the following contest is a tuxedo match where the loser will be stripped of their tuxedo attire. We get a flashback to earlier in the day when Jim Cornette called Christy Hemi into his office and said, Tonight you're going to be in a tuxedo match, but I'm still not going to tell you who your opponent is. <laughs> so I guess that explains why Christy Hemi is already coming out in a tuxedo aware of the circumstances. She wants equal treatment, says Mike Tanay. And while I usually disagree with Mike today, is this really so much to ask for? Fucking hilarious moment, by the way. As Christy Heavy is walking down the aisle in her tuxedo, we cut to a fan that's holding a sign. Now, this guy got on camera because his sign says, clear as day, what is NWA TNA's current catchphrase that they put out in all their marketing and that they begin every broadcast with, because I saw a little video where they're like, TNA Wrestling, and then they said the catchphrase. What makes this hilarious is the catchphrase is, We are wrestling! Oh, the irony. Uh, Here comes her opponent. The opponent becomes visible. Mike Tanay says, What? The opponent announced from Stamford, Connecticut, the Big Fat Oily Guy! Now, Big Fat Oily Guy is a short, larger gentleman in a tuxedo. His ring statistics are unknown to me, so I did a little bit of internet research, and oh my fucking god, Big Fat Oily Guy has a goatee and some dark hair. I know him with lighter hair and no goatee. Ladies and gentlemen, Big Fat Oily Guy is indeed Tiny the Timekeeper. If you're a fan of uh, TNA Never Dies over on the North South Connection Wrestling Podcast feed, which you should be, even though the show is on hiatus... Uh, back episodes available in the archives. Listen to it. Tiny the Timekeeper often appeared on weekly NWA TNA broadcasts as sort of a eh, victim of assaults and mockery from other pro wrestling heels as an attempt to get over. But he did make one other appearance in the ring as this is BFOG's second and final match in the wars of sports entertainment. Back in the day, Tiny the Timekeeper did battle with Dustin Diamond, a.k.a. the Screechster, and was defeated in a close encounter. Big fat oily guy struts to the ring. He enters and does some dick thrusting near a Christy Hemi. Christy slaps the BFOG. The bell rings, and thus begins the case of Christy Hemi taking on the big fat oily gentleman. Christy Hemi. Now remember, This is the evidence portion. I've watched the match. I'm just going to give you evidence. You'll have to decide if it's positive or negative, and then I, the jury, will decide. You can make your own judgments at home. I make my judgments at home all the time when no one's around. 
I hate my life. Christy Heavy jumps, and the big, fat, oily guy is backed immediately into the corner, and the tuxedo jacket is stripped. Strikes by Hemi to the gut of the big fatness, but it appears that big, fat, oily guy is sort of the opposite or the anti-King Hippo, because these gut shots have no effect, and we all know it would send a King Hippo to his doom. Big, fat, oily guy now in the corner. Christy Hemi looks at him for six seconds. I counted. If I was inaccurate, blame TNA Impact's fucking Wrestling Plus app for not having a 10-second rewind button. Fuck that app. Fucked Impact Wrestling. After the six seconds of breaking, Christy Hemi charges, but the big fatness moves, and Christy Hemi is stripped of her own tuxedo jacket. Upon stripping the jacket of a Christy Hemi, big fat oily guy spins around his head like a helicopter. Christy Hemi uses this to her advantage and hits a flying clothesline and the bigness is down. Christy Hemi chokes and rips the shirt to huge boos. The oilness is indeed a hairy beast, as is revealed by the fact that he's no longer wearing a shirt. The big fat oily guy in the corner. Christy Hemi again waits six seconds, springs into action with a Hemi splash. Now, the big fat oily guy catches her but cannot hang on. He appears to be winded. So Christy Hemi gets down from her perch. She redoes the spot. And big fat oily guy now has a solidified grip on the body of a Christy Hemi. And oh no, big fat oily guy throws her forward and rips her pants off while she's in air. That's actually impressive. Probably hard to do. Now that he has the pants in his possession, he also spins it round the head like a helicopter. Big fat oily guy hits some knees to the gut. Christy Hemi bounces off the ropes and hits the Luthas press, which is countered into a body slam. Big fat oily guy off the ropes with a big fat oily guy splash, but no, Christy Hemi rolls out of the way. Big fat oily guy stands up after this ultimate warrior splash. And to mine eyes, it appears his waistline has destroyed the pants as he has to hold them up for the rest of the match. Christy Hemi hits a knee strike, goes for a sunset flip, trying to pull the oilness down for a pin count, even though pin counts don't matter. Big fat oily guy counters by sitting down and hits the face full of stuff. Face full of stuff. Face full of stuff. On a Christy Hemi. The bigness stands and resecures his pants. Don West proclaims the last maneuver was akin to bad pornography. Low blow by the Christer. She yanks the pants of the oilness, and my god! A G-string is revealed! The tuxedo is no more! Christy Hemi wins! The big fatness exits the ringside area, sprints to the back in front of a young woman at ringside who is holding her mouth in shame. We get some great shots of the ass cheeks as they jiggle of the big fat oily man as he returns to the backstage area, never to be seen again. Well, the jury has deliberated, and they find this match guilty. I don't really know what to say here. I mean, it's bad. It's not even fun. Like, that's the that's the, that's the the bad part, okay? It's like two minutes, but it's not even funny. It's not even funny. Be funny if you're going to do this. I'm sure the next match will make up for it, though. Welcome to the King of the Ring 2000. Live from Boston, Massachusetts, in the Fleet Center, home of WrestleMania 14. Where the Austin era has begun! 
at WrestleMania. Yeah. It's a hardcore match tonight. A hardcore evening gown match between Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe for the World Wrestling Federation Hardcore Championship. Now, this pay-per-view, I have to admit, I, I like to proclaim that I have all this this grand streak, much like a Bill Goldberg, uh, of watching wrestling pay-per-views starting in 89 all the way until I moved away to college. But I missed this one, but I missed it for good reason. I was in Paris at the time. But I recall frantically emailing back and forth with my brother trying to figure out who became the King of the Ring. I eventually learned it was Kurt Angle. I did not learn the results of this match and am here to watch it for the very, very first time and report back to you who is victorious. But I'd also like to report back the trip to Paris was a rousing success if you catch my drift. A little bit of context here. On the June 19th episode of Raw is War, Pep Patterson and Gerald Briscoe interfered in a King of the Ring tournament matchup between Crash Holly and Hardcore Holly. Crash, at the time, the Hardcore Champion. Hardcore was disqualified after Briscoe hit Crash twice with a 2x4. But, because of the 24-7 rule, Briscoe pinned Crash to win the Hardcore Championship but not move forward in the King of the Ring tournament. After returning to the backstage area, Patterson hit Briscoe in the head with a champagne bottle, Shades of Canyon, and pinned him via the 24-7 rule to win the Hardcore Championship. On the June 22nd episode of SmackDown, WWF former chairman Vincent Kennedy McMahon announced that Patterson would defend the title against Briscoe in a Hardcore evening match at the King of the Ring. Thank you, Wikipedia, by the way, because I wasn't going to write that shit out myself. Now, the one thing Wikipedia left out is that Pat Patterson... The reason this is an evening gown match is because on that episode of SmackDown, right before the pay-per-view, uh, Briscoe was searching the arena for Patterson to try to win the belt back. But Patterson, actually a pretty ingenious plan, he dressed in drag so he could hide out in the women's locker room, the one place a Gerald Briscoe could not enter in the arena. But when Gerald Briscoe learned of the hiding scenario, he entered drag himself and accosted Patterson in the women's locker room. The fight broke to the hallways of the arena, where Vince McMahon walked by, saw this, and was aghast, and booked the encounter. I do, however, recommend, if you're going to watch this match, check out the video package before, as it's quite humorous. Back in the arena, real American hits. When it comes crashing down at should I sing the song or review the match? Well, it hurts my pride to admit this shit. But I don't want to talk about this match. It's the hits. I am a confused podcaster. What should I do with my life today? Should I go to work and make some cash? Or podcast this shit and get out of my ass? I'm feeling strong that this match is wrong. Okay, I'm going to stop. But I had to throw that last one because it fit too well. Oh, my God. So it is Gerald Briscoe. He's carrying a 2x4, and he's got a beautiful black ensemble on and a black wig on top. Well, he's a long way from Blackwell, Oklahoma, to be dressed like that, I'll tell you. 
Well, Jesus, JR, nice to know that Blackwell, Oklahoma's intolerant. I'm shocked. Remind me to cancel my vacation plans to Blackwell. Gerald enters the ring, and he poses. JR, are those real? What? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, he's a real American, brother. I don't think that that's what the king was talking about, but I'll go with it because it's a pretty funny diss. Jerry the King Lawler likes Gerald's heels. Why am I not surprised that his eyes are automatically drawn to the feet? It's a sad, sad commentary for a once-proud athlete from Oklahoma King. Well, I don't know if it's a sad, sad commentary. He hasn't done anything bad. It's not like he killed someone. You know? It's not like he stole money from a charity. He's wearing a dress! Here comes the WWF Hardcore Champion! Uh, He's not using real American, which makes me sad. But he's not an American, so I guess it makes sense. I I like the brand synergy, pal. Uh, He's coming out to some old-timey, sexy, big band music. It is Pat Patterson in a long blonde wig. And he's wearing a beautiful red dress. And uh, the blonde locks really do look the part for Pat Patterson, as he is a blonde. So I like the brand synergy. Now, he's got a shopping cart full of hardcore instruments of destruction tools of power play, if you will. And I know that they think this is this is Johnny C sort of going out on a limb here. I'm assuming that the boys in the back, Vince McMahon, thinks that Pat Patterson just does this shit on the weekend, so he just should be happy as a pig and shit out there. And you know what? I will say this. Pat seems to be having a good time and when people fuck with you, you got to turn it around and make it a positive. So, good job, Patster. Now, he also kind of looks like a school bus driver. Not any specific school bus driver, just all of them. He's also got some candy in a shopping cart that he throws to some youngsters at ringside. He again tosses these instruments of destruction, or tools of power play, if you will, from the ring cart into the ring. And we get a good shot of the hardcore instruments. We've got some toilet paper, a pillow, and a teddy bear. Unfortunately, while Patterson is prepared for this encounter, he's not prepared to go out in public wearing this dress because he's accidentally left on the price tag. Patterson goes over to the fink, kisses him, and steals the microphone. Patterson enters the ring and gives us a soliloquy. Look at you. You look like an old drug queen. Now let me talk to you, Briscoe. Just calm down a little bit. Every time that you defended your belt, I was always at your side, was I not? Am I your friend? I was always your friend. These people want us to go at it real bad. But I got a better idea, man. If it's the belt you want real bad, I'll show you what kind of a friend I am. I will lay down in the ring. You will get on top of me, and the ref will count the one, two, three. Now, J.R. and the King are appalled at this. I think it's a beautiful act of friendship. However, I think they're appalled that, oh, Briscoe would have to get on top of Patterson King, and that's gross, King. Ew. Now, granted, I don't want to watch old people fuck, but I got no problem with men fucking men. I wonder what J.R. and King's problem is. We'll have to ask him the next time we meet up. Briscoe! appreciates this scenario, and they hug it out, set a ring, but oh no, it was a cunning ruse. Pep Patterson hits a low blow, the bell rings, and here we go with the case of the hardcore evening gown match. I'd say it's a case for Encyclopedia Brown, but I don't know if he's ready to have his sexual awakening, as he too is a youngster. 
right from the get-go in this encounter, JR lets us know that he is appalled. My God, Geraldine Briscoe's wearing pantyhose. Briscoe, wearing the pantyhose, is down in the corner. Pat Patterson has a nanner, or a banana, as it's known in the common tongue, and he shoves it into the mouth of Gerald Briscoe. Big boring chant here in Boston. Uh... Pat Patterson reaches into his brassiere and he pulls out some chicken. Rams it into the face of uh, Gerald Briscoe. Patterson lifts up the dress, reaches into his underoos, and pulls out a maxi pad, rubbing it right on the face of a Gerald Briscoe. Jim Ross was confused as to what this item was at first, but much like my grandma, he figured it out. It's a sanitary napkin. Pat Patterson then moons, moons Jerry. Jerry hits a low blow and then uses the women's shoe against a Pat Patterson. JR lets us know how the folks at home are feeling about what they're watching. Well, of course, King, somebody's sitting at home saying, Oh, this ain't wrestling. Huge boos from the Fleet Center faithful. Pat Patterson fires back with fists of acceptance and tolerance, but Briscoe lands a stiff fist of his own. Uh, Briscoe or Southpaw, if that matters. If any of that matters here in this matchup. Patterson is whipped into the buckle and falls. Gerald Briscoe makes weird X's over his crotch, leaps, and hits the Bronco Buster. The crowd is still very, very angry. Patterson is up, and he's getting his dress ripped up. But no, Gerald Briscoe fights back and rips the dress of Pat Patterson, but not all the way off, and the match must continue. Oh my goodness! Crash Holly is here with a referee and a trash can. Pat Patterson completely out of his dress and down to his red unmentionables. Crash Holly strips Gerald Briscoe to put both combatants on an equal playing field. Jerry in his black unmentionables. Crash! Hits a garbage can shot to Pat Patterson, covers him for the one, two, three, and we have a new champion! It's Crash Holly! In the match he wasn't even booked in, Crash Holly flees through the entranceway. The crowd is now amused, and the match is over. My verdict! Guilty! Why? Because, man, this is so fucking ill-intended, and it hits all the right notes. It's super mean-spirited, and it goes out of its way to let us know how weird... I'm doing the finger quotes thing here, cross-dressing is, and all that fucking bullshit that the uh, boomers would tell you. I know it's taken place in 2000, but still, it's really mean-spirited to Pat Patterson, because you know... You just know that Vince and his fucking circle of douchebags are back there like, Ha-ha! Look at him! Look at him in his brawn panties! Pat Patterson, you freak! Now, that's Vince McMahon saying that, not me, because I, I think everybody knows where I stand on this. But I will say this, and I don't even know if I should. Kudos to Joe Briscoe, I suppose, maybe, question mark, for going out there with his friend, so Patterson didn't have to go out there alone? Maybe. I don't know. But also, I guess, way to go, Pat. You went out there and you fucking just, you, you, you went with it. And when you go with it, they can't laugh. But I'm sure that they did. I'm fucking appalled and I want to quit, quit, quit. But I won't because I love you.
Oh, God. Well, guys, I know that that one wasn't pretty. And again, I apologize, but it's on the list, so we had to cover it. Now, we just have one match left to go, and I know I promised you something special. So let's go ahead and get into it and see what the jury can figure out. We're traveling further back in time to complete this circle, if you will. Back to May 19th, 1991. Just eight years to the day until Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace would grace the silver screen. And movies have a little something to do with this, so it's irrelevant. It's Super Brawl 1. Or just Super Brawl. Retroactively named Super Brawl 1 by the internet wrestling community. It's in St. Petersburg, Florida at the Bayfront Center. It's the case of Oz. Welcome to Oz. Taking on Tim Parker. Jim Ross and Dusty Rhodes are on the call. Of course, we always got to get a little bit of context here. So, before the match starts, Jim Ross says, We've heard a lot about Oz. And that is it. (laughs) So, I know it's not enough. I really do. And here at the new TNN, we're committed to excellence. So, I've secured film actor and director and known connoisseur of the art, Kevin Nash, live here in the new TNN studios to talk about this one. Kevin, have yourself a seat. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, Johnny, that's that's no problem whatsoever. Thanks for having me. All right, let me get the mic. Can you hear me? Sibilance, am I on? No, Kevin, loud and clear. Um, First question. What can you tell us, you know, in traveling all the way back to 91? I know you've been on the road a lot. I know there's a lot of great stories, but we're we're going in the Wayback Machine to 1991. Yeah, I'm familiar with the year. Uh, Bush won. Yeah, some good times. You know, uh, Bush won didn't require 1099ers to fill out a W-2 unless they were exempt. So, I made some pretty good cheddar under Bush won. Well, that's great, Kev. I appreciate that information. I wasn't a taxpaying citizen at the time, so, you know, I'm always proud to get, uh, well, more informed. First question, what can you tell us about your performance as Oz? <laughs> Oz. Well, probably uh, probably the most obvious thing I can tell you about Oz. Probably the, uh, the best actor to perform as Oz that's ever been captured by a, a camera. You know, and there's there's a couple of them out there. You know, you look at uh, Frank Morgan. Frank Morgan. There's a couple of good pictures. Uh, of course, uh, he was in the 39 Wizard of Oz, playing the Oster. But uh, I think he was in Dimples. Yeah, you know, Dimples was a Shirley Temple picture uh, from 36. A lot of people don't remember that one. It's directed by William Siter. <laughs> you know... Frank Morgan, ironically, starred in this flick with Shirley Temple. Never went for a Shirley Temple. At least that's the word on the street. Guy was a known alcoholic. Had a little something in common with uh, Richard Pryor from Superman 3. You ever see that one? Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Oh, man, gave me some nightmares as a kid. (laughs) Great picture, 83. Uh, Richard Lester. Hey, did you know? You've seen it. You said it. You know all the computers all over that one? Did you know? Originally, they wanted to bring in Brainiac. Brainiac is available to that picture. Can you believe that? You know, it's 83, but uh, they could probably have gotten it done. Do some stop motion. 
maybe a little bit of uh, green screen rear projection, you know, flying in from space. Uh, the brain man could have taken over the planet Earth. Another direction, though, saw this on the old chat forums, Johnny. Mr. Mitzelpleck could have been one of the villains. You ever seen that guy? He's a tiny little fucker. You know, the only way that Superman can defeat Mr. Mitzelplex is to get him to say his name backwards. Dudley Moore was booked in that picture. Dudley Moore. Huge alcoholic. Giorgio Moroder. You know, Johnny, I'm just going to stop you for a second. Giorgio Moroder hired to compose the score Superman 3. You know, you familiar with this guy? Doing the, the Midnight Express. But he's so much more than just that track. Bringing old Stan and Bobby down to the ring. And there's more to it. Giorgio Moroder, responsible for scoring the classic film Scarface. Ah, I live my life by that picture. I'll never forget back in 95, I was doing the loop with Sean. And in the business, we call it the loop when you... You go from one place to another place. Uh, we started off in Kansas City, afternoon show. Headed to the hotel afterwards. I calls up Sean. He's in the room next to me. I think it was room 312. I said, Sean, got over here to room 316, brother. Scarface is on. It's a tremendous picture. Let's see if we can catch some before we finish out and close the loop. Sean, he knocked about thrice. I let him in. Sat down, checked out Scarface. Show's an ass magnet. You know, whenever you're, you're sitting around in your hotel, you order some room service, the Scarface is on. Ugh. Good luck getting out of that room. Uh, I remember when we put on Scarface, it was uh, right at the scene where he's giving the business to uh, his sister, Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrantonio, appeared in uh, Prince of Thieves. Kevin Costner made Marion. It's another role I could play, Robin Hood. But uh, we're at that part, and I said, Sean, I know you've never seen this. Check it out. Pacino. Wants to fuck his sister. And yeah, it's a little weird, but, uh, I mean, look at her. She's like an easy eight. But, uh, you know, Marauder scored. Scored Scarface, scored Superman 3. Superman 3, if I'm not mistaken, was, uh, mentioned casually in an office space. And it came out in 99. Yeah, 99. Mike Judge. Mike Judge wrote and directed that funny guy. I met Mike a couple of times. Uh, when I lived in the valley. You know a guy made Beavis and Butthead? Uh, it's not bad. I prefer, I'm more of a King of the Hill guy. <laughs> hey, Bobby. I got some propane. Because I'm a propane salesman. Fucker cracks me up every time. Jennifer Aniston, if I'm not mistaken, is in that picture. Johnny, did you ever notice Jennifer Aniston is always cold? Her nipples are just there, man. I mean, they're, it's pretty nice. Just got to feel bad for it. Get her a sweater or something. Get a sweater at Sears, J.C. Penny, you know, something off the rack, fourteen ninety nine. I know she can afford it. Million dollars an episode, million dollars an episode. Yeah, they said the cast of Friends was the highest paid actors on television, but uh, you know they didn't consider WCW Nitro and Thunder into that equation because uh, I'm a pretty high paid actor myself. What was I talking? Oh, yeah, Morgan, Frank Morgan played Oz, reminded me of Richard Pryor in Superman Three. That's my whole point, Johnny. You know, Richard Pryor in Superman 3, he's got that one part where he dresses up and he's carrying around a suitcase full of booze. Well, Morgan, according to old Hollywood legend, used to walk around carrying a suitcase full of booze. He was such an alcoholic. I've never never known any alcoholics in my life, so I don't really know if it's that big of a deal. But uh, Morgan, 
He's he's a drunk. And I like to drink, but you gotta you gotta keep it in check, man. So yeah, I'd definitely say that uh, I'm a better Oz than Morgan. Wow. Uh, thank you, uh, Kevin. Uh, Frank Morgan. Yeah, he played Oz. He's not the only one though. Uh, James Franco. I believe Franco, or the Frankster. That's what we call him. Uh, he played Oz too in the Oz, the Great and Powerful. It's a Sam Raimi picture, Disney flick. Not available on Disney Plus for some reason. Uh, Tweeted him out, let him know on day one. Uh, Wanted to watch Oz the Great and Powerful. Couldn't find it. Not anywhere. But yeah, it's a Sam Raimi picture. Kind of a famous guy. (laughs) Think you've seen some of his movies probably, Johnny? I heard you talking about him on North-South Connection Podcast Network. Good network. But uh, of course, best known for directing The Gift. With Katie Holmes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I remember watching The Creek back in 90. Well, we called it The Creek. See, I got And to tell you the story, John, we got to go all the way back to 99. I'm at the Cow Palace, San Francisco, with uh, Roddy Piper backstage at a Nitro. Now, a lot, of, a lot of people don't know this. Piper, big fan of The Creek. And that's what he called it. He just called it The Creek. He didn't call it Dawson's Creek. I think Piper Piper might have thought it was his creek. But uh, nonetheless, so he's got a tape, got like about six hours of the creek, and we're just watching this this show. And it's a good show about a guy that wants to be a film director. I can relate. But I'll never forget Piper looking over at me and being like, Hey, Kevin, you know, before I die, I really hope I get to see Katie Holmes and Michelle Williams' tits. And, uh, of course, uh, Rami directed that gift picture. I saw the theater, immediately walked out halfway through and pulled out my cell phone. It's 2000, but I had a cell phone, Nokia, if I'm not mistaken. I dialed up Piper and I said, hey, Pipes, well, I know you're back home in Oregon. I want you to get the newspaper, take a look, and see if the gift's playing anywhere. If you get yourself a ticket, one half of your lifelong dream, it's going to be complete. Sam Raimi, you know, he, he directed a lot. He also produced... That JCVD flick, uh, Time Cop, back in 94. You ever see Time Cop, Johnny? What's with all those cars in Time Cop? They're driving around. They're huge. Looking like computer chips on wheels. Computer chips or uh, integrated circuits, of course. You know, they came around to the States here in uh, 57 when a civilian named Jack Kirby proposed using integrated circuits to the United States military. Now, this guy, fucking pioneer. Digital age, but I don't want you to get him confused with Jack Kirby from uh, comic books. You might know Kirby. You know, he created the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, Ant Man, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Paul's a dear friend of mine. Iron Man, X Men, Silver Surfer, and the Black Panther. Hey, what up, Wakanda? Franco, though, he wasn't going out alone in that picture. Oh, man, uh, Mila Kunis, I think she was one of the. One of the sidekicks in that flick. Man, Mila Kunis. Where's she from again? I think it's someplace exotic. Like, uh, Missouri? Rachel Weiss? She's in that, poof, she's in that picture too. Uh, you don't know who she is, man. She's Daniel Craig's personal Bond girl. But, uh, the most important part of this story, and probably the reason you had me on this show, Michelle Williams is in that picture. Uh, you know, she's not getting her tits out there. It's a Disney flick. But I won't forget, she's in that picture with uh, Gosling 
from Barbie. I think Gosling, you know him from Barbie. But uh, she's got her tits out in that flick. I don't forget, I saw it. And I uh, called up Piper, and I'm like, hey, Pipes, Michelle Williams, man, she's got her tits out. Uh, the dream. You can finish the dream. And uh, Piper's uh, wife was on their line. She's like, hey, Kev, Pipes dead. And I was like, oh, man, that's right. Pipes is dead. Hit me hard, man. Hit me really hard. Uh, it's a good picture, though. You think uh, Rami and Michelle Williams on the set of Oz the Great and Powerful were talking about uh, Katie Holmes' tits? Nipples are kind of kind of interesting. They kind of they take up a large portion of the breast. You know, the areola? It's kind of weird. It's like uh, 66% of her boob is all areola. A nipple, though, stuck out. If I'm not mistaken. Good picture, though. Filmed it in 135. Should have gone with the IMAX aspect ratio. But safe to say, I'm probably a better Oz than James Franco. So, uh, yeah. Oz is probably a top five Kevin Nash performance of all time. Up there with the Super Shredder. Better than Uncle Phil. I'll tell you that much. All right, Kevin. Well, um, that's, that's all I need. I, I want to thank you for coming to the new TNN, and I hope you come back real soon. Ah, no problem, Johnny. Now that I know how to get here, I can come back uh, anytime you need me. You know, I took I took 71, and I connected to 75. <laughs> Got lost on 275, I did. Loop myself back around. But it's okay. I got to see the stadium. The jungle. What you guys call it. You know, the Bengals are popping this year. They could be a contender. Got Joey Cool. Joey B. You know, he's got like a 68.2 completion percentage this year. 31 TDs. 3,885 yards total, man. He's going to hit 4,000 before the playoffs. 27 for 39 last week against Brady. Against Brady. Could be looking at a star. All right, thanks, Kev. That's, that'll be that. Hey, Johnny. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you next time. Well, hey, uh, now that, uh, now I know what that guy that said don't meet your heroes was talking about. Uh, but let's press ever forward with our very last case for the day. So, as I'd mentioned, Jim Ross says, where well, we've heard a lot about Oz. Well, we're back in the arena now. And the lights in the arena are all turned down low. And a green castle is in the entranceway. My word, they brought an entire castle in just for this thing. I tell you, that's impressive. Some uh, marching music types to play. No one says a word. Like, everything is silent. The crowd is not cheery. They're not booing. They're just completely indifferent. And commentary is silent until Jim Ross lets us know what's really going on. Uh, it's a very eerie situation here in St. Petersburg. Remember, he's with Dusty. Dusty's like, I ain't seen nothing like this, and I've been to one or two go-brokers in an all-night fair, brother. Now, I don't know what go-brokers are, but I've been to a fair, and I cannot imagine what an all-night fair would be like. So, Dusty, you've been to the shit. All right? It's like the uh, uh, fucking Rushmore when uh, Jason Schwartzman meets Bill Murray. You were in Nam. Yeah, I was in Nam. Were you in the shit? Yeah, yeah, I was uh I was in the shit. So Dusty's been in the shit, if you will. Suddenly, a muffled voice says, "Tell me when." And it's so audible. 
It's so audible that it gets its own line in the closed captioning. Has a botch ever gotten in on the closed captioning? Like if in the middle of a match, the Rock yells, Give me tackle! Like does the closed captioning say, Rock, colon, give me tackle! Because this guy is waiting for his cue, and he says, Tell me when, into a live mic, a hot mic, if you will. Our society knows a little bit about hot mics. Microphones are hot, bitches are hot, I grab them. That's what I do. Anywho, I I would like statistics on this uh, botched closed captioning. But, finally, it's time. The narrator has been told when. And the narrator begins, well, his narration. Once upon a time, in a land far away, there lived a wizard. But not the Wizard of Oz. His name was the Great Wizard. And he ruled the kingdom of Oz. So, the great Wizard of Oz then? Booze rained down from the WCW faithful as the uh, great Wizard of Oz uh, arrives on the scene. Now, this, this great wizard is a shortman and an old mask and a cloak. It's, it's Kevin Sullivan. Absolutely. But it's shades of Billy Barty from Willow. Forget the bird. Go to the river. Or, to a lesser extent, Billy Barty from Masters of the Universe, Gwildor! Oh, he managed me, Gwildor! I'm trying to get the cosmic key to work! Moo. So, Kevin Sullivan's dressed up like fucking Gwildor. And on the stage with him, in front of this castle, is a young girl in a checker print dress. Hmm, something familiar about that. A scarecrow. Not the scarecrow. Okay, not Killian Murphy. But a scarecrow. There's a lion and a tinman as well. The narrator continues, And now our weary travelers are at the end of their journey as they face the Emerald City. Hee-hee-hee-hee-hee-hee-hee, <laughs> Billy Barty laughs. Welcome to Oz! Welcome to Oz! Welcome to Oz! Welcome to Oz! The troop of misfits follow this old shortman as he says to them, Welcome to Oz! Welcome to Oz! Don't be afraid, he says. And then smoke fills the arena. More booze rain down. We're getting closer to Oz. Welcome to Oz. We're almost here. They reach the castle. There appears to be some sort of a giant standing with his back to the crowd at the entrance of the castle. A voice that's familiar to all of us here on the new TNN says, Come forward. Some very weak, embarrassing pyrotechnic spark. I'm Oz, the great and powerful. Who are you? The giant asks. The great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. How dare you come to me? I will show you who Oz really is. The giant is now in full view, and it's apparent, er, apparent excuse me, that he has a large cape. He has a white beard. Shades of Santa Claus and a giant nipple-shaped hat. I will show the world who Oz really is. It's at this point I notice that Gwildor, Billy Barty, Kevin Sullivan, whatever you want to call him, has a little fucking live monkey on his shoulder. This monkey is desperate for escape and slashes feverishly at the shortman. Full pyro emerges from the arena and it surrounds Oz, the troop of misfits. You know, Dorothy and them. They scurry out of view, never to be seen again. And then, 
the the wonderful marching music ends and boom 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 it's clearly just another one bats dust but it's a knockoff so we'll call it another one chews dirt Billy Barty is speaking as the monkey leaps forward in desperate escape <laughs> he says welcome to us welcome to us at this point it's clear that this wizard is the manager of Oz for the presentation. I kid you not, fans. The fucking wizard says, Welcome to Oz! Nine times before Nash gets in the fucking ring. Now that this fucking child's play theater is complete, and Na- Nash or Oz is actually walking to the ring to have a quote-unquote wrestling match, Jim Ross and Dusty Rhodes return to us. Dusty... It's the thing of legend. I've got to give it to you verbatim. I apologize, but it, it has to be done. He is huge, Dusty. This guy Oz is huge. Brother, this just knocked my thoughts right off right here. I ain't never seen nothing like that. And I'm going to tell you what. This is an awesome, awesome, awesome display. World Championship Wrestling is bringing it to you, baby. We're taking a look at Oz. Oz finally arrives at the ring. The wizard says, welcome to Oz, four more times, and struggles desperately against his simian, quote-unquote, ally. The arena lights finally come on. Oz removes his cloak. Oz takes off his face! My God! Oh, wait, it's okay. He has another face underneath, because yes, Oz fucking wears a rubber mask of a... I just can't even with this. But underneath the mask, it's Kevin Nash with green hair with his eyes wide like, He strikes Tim Parker with an elbow. The bell finally rings. So here we go with our final case of the episode. The case of Oz versus Tim Parker. Oz begins his offensive strike with a big body slam onto Parker. The wizard is still in the ring, I guess trying to get a hold of his monkey and keep his mask on. He finally does leave, though, a few seconds later. Oz sets Parker up in the powerbomb position, lifts, but before he drops, he spins shades of ring around the rosy, and ashes, ashes, Tim Parker slam down. Oz makes the cover. One, two, three, it's over. Well, it was rather abrupt. Fans, I mean, come on. This one is super easy. Absolutely not guilty. I mean, it's a 26-second squash match. Technically, Oz looks like a million bucks. Sure, it's a million bucks wasted. But there's no business exposure. There's no botches. What's the problem, Dave? I mean, I'm dead serious. This is a 26-second match where the only moves are an elbow, a body slam, and a fucking spinny powerbomb. I mean, that's it. What's to be offended about? Sure, the presentation is awful. The presentation is garbage. It's a stupid fucking gimmick and a waste of everyone's time. But it was just 26 seconds and a power bomb. It's a squash. Jesus Christ. Get off your fucking high horse, David. That's right. I'm calling you David from now on, David. You're fucking such a connoisseur of grand wrestling. You should be David and not Dave anyway. So, haha. But yeah, I mean, it's the easiest call I've made this entire fucking Starman journey. It's not guilty. I don't care. I'm not including the other stuff. It's just bell-to-bell action. That's what you rank matches with, right? Anywho, 
So that's going to end this episode with two extremely guilty, one extremely not guilty, but overall, maybe the three worst president presented matches we've ever covered on Starman. Plus, we got to talk at length with our friend, film connoisseur Kevin Nash. So, uh, I think I'm ready to put this one in the bag and say, we're done. But guess what? We're never done over at the new TNN podcast feed. We're constantly releasing fun stuff for you. We just took on uh, this Tuesday in Texas on The Bright Man. Whoa. This Tuesday in Texas, a surprise winner of a pay-per-view. Listen to that show. All-time Jake the Snake. All-time Macho Man. Give yourself, uh, do yourself a favor and listen to it. If for nothing else, if it inspires you to watch the show, I've done my job. But make sure you subscribe to the feed so you get notified when new episodes drop. Maybe leave a review, say something nice on Twitter, or some other social media site. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you, and we are Pup. Hey, wait a minute. I recognize this track. Johnny, you watching Dawson's Creek? Oh, I'm sorry, The Creek? Man, it's a hell of a, hell of a show. You know, I remember when the WB entered the TV scape. You know, you had your four major networks. And, you know, we wondered if uh, folks were going to be able to penetrate in there. Along with UPN. Of course, Vince. Vince knew what he was doing. He glommed right onto that UPN. But the creek... The creek was the cornerstone of the WB. You know, I had, uh, had a lot of good folks in it. That Vanderbeek kid? Did he fuck a pie? No, he didn't fuck a pie. No, no, he fucked the cheerleader with the whipped cream. You know... Had a had a gal friend do the whipped cream bikini to me in Vegas one time. It's not all it's cracked up to be. And whipped cream gets everywhere. Places you don't want whipped cream. But uh, Vanderbeek, cornerstone, cornerstone of the creek. But I'll tell you, I think the character that most of us in the biz related to is Pacey, natural athlete, kind of an underachiever. Fucked his teacher. I mean, us alphas, you know, we usually end up fucking a teacher or two. So I can relate to Pacey. Good kid. Those duck movies. Uh, Emilio Estevez? Oh, man. Emilio Estevez, that picture, uh, Maximum Overdrive? Yeah, that's actually, uh, gonna happen someday. Cars are gonna take over. I mean, I've read some stuff. I've read some literature. And I don't know what you're reading, Johnny. I think you're reading those funny books. But, uh, you know, I've got some books I can send your way. Send you a couple links. Yeah, the cars are gonna come alive and take over. So you should probably watch Maximum Overdrive. But, uh, you know, as a, as a 1099 contracted individual, uh, paying my taxes, uh, the Emilio Estevez film that I most appreciate is Men at Work. Sanitation work. Nobody wants to do it, but you're making good money, great benefits, and tax exempt. No 1099s for you. No, you're getting a W-2 from the city. Township. Locality. You know, just, just, just depends where you're living at the time. Taxes deducted ahead of time. I ain't paying no lawyers. I ain't paying Bernie, my buddy Bernie, to do my taxes. Of course, you know, after Bernie did my taxes for a couple years, took a look. Eh, seems pretty easy. So I take my 1099, load it up into TurboTax. I'm saving money. Round the clock, Johnny. You know, I don't know if you're making any money off this podcasting gig, but if you do, let me know. I can hook you up with my guy at TurboTax. This, this, this thing's still on? <laughs>